can't wait to get to heaven. One day I'll get to sing like Paul does. <laughs> oh, man. So, as the trial continues, the handsome prosecuting attorney stands. And he says, I like to call my first witness. I like to call Mr. John Mitchell to the stand. Would you please join me? <clears throat> Hello, Mr. Mitchell. Hello. You're going to need to put Hello. That. Yeah, there you go. Very good. Mr. Mitchell, isn't it true that you experimented with some pretty shameful activities in your past? Maybe. I need a yes or a no. Yes, sir. Would you please share with the court the nature of those activities? And suddenly you hear from the back the defense attorney going, I object, but the judge says, I'll allow it, overruled. So please share with the court the nature of those activities. Well, growing up, um, my father would uh, allow me to watch these videos. Um, porn. Did you say porn? Porn. Okay. And, and uh, what of it? Well, um, I thought it was normal. I thought it was normal until I got married and started going to church. And how did these activities make you feel? Well, it made me feel good. I mean, it, it's, it's like a drug. And... Um, how long uh, did you feel good for? Was there ever a time that you didn't feel good? Um, yeah, you know, after I got married and I kept going on and going to church and started feeling shame and guilt. Pretty hopeless, hey? Do you, do you call, this is an important question here, Mr. Mitchell, do you call yourself a believer? I would say I do, yes. So you're a believer that has struggled watching porn, is what you're saying, to the court this, this morning. Yes. So, really, you wouldn't dare believe yourself, relieve yourself of the personal responsibility of manning up and fixing this yourself, would you? You don't have to answer that question. But you would, you're not going to use the idea of God as a crutch for your failures, are you? No. Mm. You don't have to answer that. That was a rhetorical question. Ladies and gentlemen, I have no further questions for this man. And then the judge says, uh, is there any cross-examination? And a defense attorney comes up. Yes, Your Honor. Hi, John. Hello. Why did you feel shame and guilt from doing those activities? Well, um... First of all, I was hiding it. And so if I'm hiding it, I'm, I'm feeling shame, shame for it. Um, I felt guilty because I was going to church and, and learning more about God. And um, I knew he was watching me, but um, didn't feel like I could be loved by God. Because of the, the shame. Because of the, the guilt, guilt and yeah. the shame, yes. What would you like the jury to know about those dark days? Um... Like I said, I would just hide it. I would hide it from them. I would, I would hide, try to hide it from, from the wife. And um, just as I grew closer to God, I knew 
I knew it was wrong, but I couldn't stop. Did you still believe in God during that shame and guilt? Yes. And so why? Yes. How did you hold on to God? Did he help you? Yes. Well, so there was, there was one time where a young pastor came to speak, and um, he told us about his story, and it sounded like mine. Um, where so he, he was, struggled with the he same. He struggled with the same thing. And um, so I got to thinking to myself, I was like, so maybe I'm not alone in this. You know, I'm going to church, and I'm struggling with this. This is, this is not good. I can't be doing this and going to church. It's like an oxymoron. Mm. And um, so after all this, you know, found out that there was other people in this church that struggled with it. And out of it, we had a men's group. And, and so, so you, you recognize that right now there are people, probably people right now in the jury that oh, struggles with, oh, yeah. that struggle with this. Oh, yeah. Do you have any advice for them? Did, how did you overcome, or, you know, did you overcome? What's well, I mean, that's a strong question. That's a hard one. Um, that's a hard one to overcome. Still working on it. Um, as soon as I found out there was other people, we had the men's group. You know, we, we worked on some stuff, you know, went through the Bible. Um, just got closer to God. And um, I knew I wasn't, I knew that shame and guilt didn't come from God. And it came from his enemy. Um, so I started feeling hopeful. I have friends and I have, you know, pastors, and it's just, you know, it's awesome that you have a family, a big family that can support you. What advice would you give those that maybe are, are, are struggling with it today? Well, if you're struggling with it today, you're not alone. Um, you can come seek me out after this trial. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and um, you know, I get you hooked up with some people that, you know, that can be helpful. That could be helpful. Do you still believe in God? I believe in God. He has yeah. gotten me this far. I'm not Amen. done yet. Amen. <laughs> Thank you very much, John. Thank you for sharing Thank this you. very difficult story. Yes. Let's give them a big round of applause. You know, it, <clears throat> it is not easy to share uh, with such depth. I want to tell you, though, uh, you know, as, as we were going through the topics, and I was looking for somebody to share with me their story about shame and guilt, and someone had shared, you know, maybe John would be willing to. And when I talked to John, there was no hesitation. He said, I'll be glad to, because I know that there are people that are struggling with that. And I will tell you this, uh, he was pretty humble about it, uh, but I, I know that, that John is at a place in his life where he recognizes, like any addict does, you have to overcome daily. Paul says, I die daily, right? It's, it's not like once you overcome, you'll always overcome. It's something that you have to be constantly aware of on a regular basis. And John, thank you so very much for being willing to share. He's got amazing resources. In fact, he had given me all this data and all this stuff. And I said, look, we're not going to have time for all that. But you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to say, if anybody wants to find out more, please talk to John. And I know John knows people that can help you. Um, and if you're sitting here and you're wondering what on earth just happened, I'll tell you what just happened. A true believer just showed one of the greatest qualities of Christianity, and that is authenticity. 
a true believer just got really transparent with you. And that is probably one of the strongest parts of this church. Uh, I, I, I love that about this church. This idea of shame and guilt started a long, long time ago. In fact, it started in the garden, the Bible tells us. Everything was great. Everybody was at peace. Everybody was in harmony. Adam and Eve were there, and, and God had shared with them some things. And then uh, Lucifer shows up, and he, uh, he begins to make some insinuations to Adam and Eve. And the Bible says that he begins to make the insinuation that, that maybe God didn't say everything. And maybe God is holding out on them. He's actually making insinuations. He says things like, that God really say you cannot eat from the tree? Did God say that you cannot eat from any of the trees? And, and Eve is saying, no, 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 that's not what God said. Just God said that there's just one tree. I love that about that answer because the insinuation from Lucifer was that God doesn't want you to have any life. God doesn't want you to have any fun. There's a sure a lot of things that God doesn't want you to do. Have you, have you heard this before? Right? I mean, if you become a believer, your life is restricted. There's so much you cannot do. But Eve actually answered the opposite. Eve said, oh, no, no, you don't understand. It's only one thing. It's not that God doesn't want us to do all these things. We can eat it from all the trees. It's just this one tree. It's the opposite. But Satan would like you to believe that it's the other way around. Life is way more adventurous and fulfilling with God on your side. Trust me on this. But Adam and Eve did not believe. And this is what we find in Genesis chapter 3. It says, the woman approached the tree, eyed its fruit, and coveted its mouth of watering wisdom granting beauty. She plucked the fruit from the tree and ate. She then offered the fruit to her husband who was close by. And he ate as well. And suddenly their eyes were opened. Suddenly their eyes were opened. I'm not sure what just happened there. We just lost connection there. Suddenly their eyes were opened. There you go, thanks. To a reality previously unknown. What could this reality have been? For the first time, they sensed their vulnerability and rushed to hide their naked bodies, stitching fig leaves into crude loincloths. So for the first time ever, this concept of shame was introduced. It wasn't there before. It came because of their disobedience to God. Are you following what I'm saying here? This is extremely important to understand. God never wanted us to experience shame or guilt. But ever since that day, we have been manufacturing elaborated fig leaves to cover up our sins. And I can't tell you how difficult it is for somebody like John to say, you know, I'm taking my fig leaf off here. I'm going to tell you exactly how, how it is. How are we doing? Have you ever thought about that moment and the rift that happened when Adam and Eve 
first sinned. There was this chasm. The darkness began to envelope and eclipse all the light. All this crazy stuff that they were all of a sudden being bombarded with that they had never knew before. They became so vulnerable to, to guilt, to shame, to all these thoughts, to fear. They were hiding all these things that they were never supposed to, ever, ever supposed to experience. Have you ever had to appear in court? As John just did. I'm not talking about jury duty. Have you ever had to appear in court? Maybe perhaps a traffic violation? Anybody got a speeding ticket? You had to appear in court? Come on. Yeah. Yeah, see, some of you are courageous enough to raise your hands, and some of you are courageous enough to lie to me and tell me that did not happen. <laughs> Maybe some kind of litigation. Someone, someone sued you. Maybe some of you guys have gone through divorce, and you had to appear in court for that. Maybe you were accused of something, some ethical lapse, some more serious stuff. How many of you would experience that? How many of you would describe the experience of being in, in, in court at that time as something that was relaxing? That you sat there with a twinge of joy. There was this kind of warm, fuzzy feeling inside of being loved. And you saw Judge Judy up there, right? That would be like the worst nightmare. Now, if you don't know who Judge Judy is, it's a good thing, actually. I myself had some moments that were a little bit more than just traffic violations. When I was 16 years old, adventurous and very stupid, susceptible to pretty strong peer pressure, I was with some friends, and this one friend had a friend that knew a friend that sold marijuana. And he knew that she had purchased five pounds of marijuana. And he says, I know where she lives, and the three of us can go there, and Ed, you can be the driver. Sergio, you can go in the house, and I'll be outside, and you can get the stuff, throw it to me, we can run into the car, nobody will know. It's a quiet neighborhood. And we were stupid enough to say, yeah, that sounds like a great idea, five pounds of marijuana, that's a lot of marijuana. And so we had this whole plan, he actually knew her number. So we called. Ahead of time, as if we were somebody that wanted to buy. So can we get an ounce? Figured, okay, so it's five pounds minus an ounce. You know, we like to meet you here and, 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 and do that. And somehow she knew, oh, this is not a good thing. So she gets her marijuana. She only leaves, his, leaves a couple of ounces and actually takes the rest. He gets out of there. We didn't know that till later. And sure enough, the plan went to effect. We pulled up. Looked around, nobody that we saw. I was the stupid enough guy, was much skinnier then, to go through the window, and it was open. So I was able to go in right through, just had to break the little screen. Walked in, I'm in this bedroom, I'm like, you know, like really trying so hard to 
figure out what to do, and I'm looking around, and, and I look in some drawers, and sure enough, I see these two pounds of marijuana. I take it, I put it in this jacket, and I run out, and I just tell my other friend, come on, let's go, and we run to the car, and then we just start laughing as we drive away. And we drive to his house, and we have a party. And that evening, I go to my house with my cut, and I'm about ready to smoke some more, feeling pretty proud about this moment. And then my brother walks upstairs, Sal, and he says to me, now those of you who are older may, may get this a little bit more than others, but he says to me, there's some guy that looked like Kojak downstairs. And he's with another officer. They want to talk to you. Man, I took that stuff real quick and threw it behind this bed and this little door that we had in the attic and ran downstairs and began the second part called lying. As they began to talk to me and say, you know, uh, we have reason to believe that you broke into this house, did you? No, I, I, I don't know what you're talking about. I wasn't there. So they keep going, and they keep saying things, and finally I decided to just kind of uh, say, you know, I have nothing to say to you. I'll never forget. I wish I could help you understand this moment. The, day, the, the, the moment that they walked me outside in front of all of my mom's and dad's neighbors, these immigrants that have spent their lives trying to build a life for themselves, a reputation. And all this stuff was coming at me, I realized. And, and they handcuffed me in front of my neighbors and put me in the police car. These days, ISIS would have taken me and deported me back to Italy. But I went to the... Uh, Station, and I just kept lying and kept lying. My brother said to me, don't say a word. As soon as Papa comes home, he'll come. I'm like, yeah, he's the guy that I'm really worried about. <laughs> and I just, I just, and, and then it came to this point while they're interrogating me, and they're getting right into my face, and I'm just saying, I don't know what you're talking I wasn't there, it wasn't me. They said, we've already caught the other two, and they've already confessed. Because my first thought was, well, then what do you need me for? <laughs> And just before I almost broke, my father walks in. My father walks in with this lawyer, well-dressed man. And the lawyer says to me, uh, Sergio, don't say another word. I've never seen this man before. He speaks to the officers, the detectives, and they let me go. They said there will be a trial. My other two friends spent the night in jail that night. I don't know where my dad got this guy, but he was good. And I remember walking out with my dad thinking, this is it. I mean, I am really, really going to get it right now. I remember feeling so much shame, so much guilt. Like I let down my dad. It wasn't so much getting caught. I just like, I can't believe I did this to my dad who's worked so hard for our family. 
And I was a little bit worried about pain. My dad was uh, uh, known for using the belt back in those days. But as we walked out, he put his arm on my shoulder. And he said to me, Sergio, are you okay? Yeah, Dad. For now, you know. And he says, it's okay. I said, really? He goes, we all are making mistakes. Mama is going to be a little different to your life. There's a verse in the Bible that says, the goodness of the Lord leads a man to repentance. Can I tell you something? Years later, when I met Jesus Christ, that moment was so highlighted in my mind because God, my father had shown me the most amazing picture of God. And I want to just take a little side note here on this one. I'll tell you, I'll do it on this side. But here's a side note. Some of us think that what gets people going is discipline and, and, and accountability and responsibility, and those things are all important. Don't misunderstand me. But can I tell you something? Probably the best thing you could ever do for somebody in that situation is what my dad did for me. There was so much love, so much just compassion there. Now, later he said to me, you know, school's out. You're going to come to work with me. And this is the way it's going to be. You can stay out as late as you want with your friends. At 5 o'clock in the morning, we go to work. Oh, yes, Dad. No problem at all. I will teach you how to be an electrician. Okay, Dad. 16 years old. Five o'clock the next morning, I'm on the road with my dad, learning to be an electrician. That night, I go out with my friends. I'm out till like one o'clock in the morning. Next morning, five o'clock comes by really fast. It did take but a couple of days for me to be like, ooh, guys, it's nine o'clock, I gotta get home. <laughs> I gotta go, man, I gotta go. They're like, what's wrong with you? I gotta, I gotta go, my dad's gonna, hey, five o'clock, man, you know? But I gotta tell you something. One of the other things that I always remember about my dad, and I don't know where he got this from, but he would wake me up. Now, our room was like up in the attic. There is, I'll never forget this. He'd wake me up. He wouldn't be coming up going, come on, let's go, you know. No, it'd be, all of a sudden I would hear his voice from, from below, and it was this kind of very soothing voice. He would say, Sergio, come on up, Papa. It's time to get up. Come on, Sergio. He would be so patient, like this every morning. Just unbelievable. I'll never forget when we went to trial. I want to tell you about shame and guilt here. The lawyer was able to get me off with trespassing. That's all I got. Just a little misdemeanor. But on that day, we got there right after the trial that the lady had that we broke into her house. My friend said, that's her? I go, that's who? That's the girl. She must have been mid-20s. She got five years because of our stupidity. 
Till this day, I still have remorse for that. And it took forever for me to accept the forgiveness that God grants me. And I hope one day I get to see this woman again. I'm hoping somehow, I pray for her from time to time. Somehow, maybe someday, she gets to make it to heaven. I, I don't know. Right? And I'm, gonna say, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to drop to my knees and say, I am so, so sorry for what I did. I know God has forgiven me, and I know that you're a believer and you're here in heaven, and so you've forgiven me at somehow in some way, but that doesn't change the fact that I am filled with remorse. Thank you so much for, for, for being here, for accepting Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. I mean, just, just it's going to be amazing, that moment. I think there's going to be so many people on that day that we're going to meet, that we're going to be like, wow, what are you doing here? And they're going to look at me and they're going to go, what are you doing here? I found out that my dad had spent every last penny of his life savings to pay for this very effective lawyer. And I didn't find out till way later. He never said a word to me. The goodness of the Lord leads a man to repentance. Do you believe that? See, this word devil that we use uh, comes from this, this verse here. It says, this is in Revelation. It says, salvation and power are established. Kingdom of our God, authority of his Messiah, the accuser of our brethren. Do you know that that's what devil means? Devil actually means prosecuting attorney. Devil actually means the accuser of our brothers and sisters. That's what devil, the word devil means. Did you know that? He is the accuser. That's what he does. He loves to accuse. He loves to use shame and guilt as tools to help you become even more thrown into the depths of despair. The accuser of our brothers and sisters are are thrown out who accused them day and night before God. Day and night before God. They defeated him through the blood of the Lamb. They defeated him through what? The blood of the Lamb and the bold words of their witness. John standing up here right now just defeated the enemy. Are you following what I'm saying? And every time we confess and we say, God, you're in charge, you rule, I am broken and I'm a sinner, but you rule. We defeat the enemy. Every time we accept, amen. Yeah. His most effective approach is to remind us of our failures. Have you noticed that? He puts us on the witness stand and then submits records of evidence to intimidate us. He has us feeling guilt. That painful sense that we are unclean and we are unforgiven. Doubt that God could never love us. <coughs> we ask questions like, is the cross really big enough for my sins? I mean, I know he can save you, but me, you don't know what I've been through. Shame. <coughs> How many times have you been to this point? I have taken advantage of God's grace so much 
that I feel stupid to take advantage of it again. Have you ever experienced that? <coughs> Where you feel like there's no way on earth that God would forgive me 70 times 7. There's no way on earth that God would continue to pour his grace upon me. And finally, we have this kind of hopelessness, this discouraging sense of defeat. You remember when everything began to fall apart with the disciples and Jesus was on trial and then he's about ready to get crucified. And you have two disciples. One is Peter, the other one is Judas. Remember that? And Peter is so ashamed and so remorseful that he spends just, just days crying and, and, and sobbing. <coughs> Doesn't know. Maybe he didn't even have the courage to do anything else but that. Judas, <coughs> excuse me, I'm just going to come down here and get some water. Judas was so ashamed and had so much guilt that what did he do? He hung himself. You think that's God's plan for you? To get to the point where you're so much, you have so much shame? See, regret, yes. Thank you so much. Remorse, yes. Contrition and repentance, yes. But God longs for us to embrace his light of grace. Not to be eclipsed by the shame of disgrace. Are you following me? Excuse me. That's good water. Some of us get so entangled in that shame that we feel mortified. You know what the word, where the word mortified comes from? It's from the same root word as death, morte. And that's what Satan loves to get us to. There's this great text, I love it, in Corinthians. And it goes like this. Godly sorrow brings what? Repentance. So catch this. Godly sorrow brings repentance. That leads to what? Salvation. And leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings what? Death. See, worldly sorrow comes from the sense that I should have done something about it. Worldly sorrow says something like, I am blowing it. I am failing. I am, but godly sorrow says, you know, I have remorse. I, I have a, a sense that I, I've blown it, but, but I can't fix this myself. Only God can fix this. Are you following what I'm saying? So the reality is that we get to the point where we don't understand that we cannot fix it. We, we get so entangled into that shame, so entangled by the mortification that it drives us actually away from God instead of towards him. But it's the goodness of the Lord that leads a man to godly repentance, godly sorrow. Godly sorrow is way deeper. It, is, it, it, it admits that there's nothing I can do that only he can do. Right? In fact, it's the, the difference between the word do and the word done. See, worldly sorrow says there's something that I could do that maybe I should have done, I didn't do. I'm never going to do it. And so I am a failure. Godly sorrow says there's something that Jesus did. It's been done 
on the cross, and if I accept his substitutionary death on my behalf, it is done. And I know that I can overcome by the blood of the Lamb. Are you following what I'm saying here? Now, here's a, a bridge. This is the longest bridge in the world. It's found in China. It's 102 miles. Anybody get scared of driving across bridges? Can you imagine 102 miles? That's a little scary, isn't it? Here is, and if length doesn't do it for you, maybe, maybe height does. Here is the large, the, the, the tallest bridge in the world. This one is in France. A thousand feet. You can actually drive across clouds. That sounds like fun, right? A thousand feet. This is like, you know, when you, you know when people say to you, you know what, it's a lot safer in, in, in airplanes than cars, you know, because, because there's a lot more accidents in cars, right? But you think, well, yeah, but if, if I get into an accident in a plane, <laughs> it's over, right? Well, this is like the worst of both worlds, right? Because you're in a car and really, really high, right? And here's the oldest bridge. This is actually found, this is still the 3,000 years old. Isn't that cool? The oldest bridge in the world, it's in, in, in Turkey. Izmir, Turkey. Now, you're probably sitting there going, okay, where are you going with the bridges? Well, I wanna, oddly enough, you're going to find that, that these that bridges have a lot to do with what I'm saying to you. See, bridges are made because there is a chasm. There is a rift. We can't get from point A to point B. So we've got to build a bridge. We build that bridge, and all these bridges have been built by humans. We build these bridges to get from point A to point B. And when we as humans realized that there was this chasm between us and God, that there was this rift between us and God, we invented something called religion. And religion was our way to build bridges to God. And basically it was if you do just the right things, if you, if you say just the right things, if you light the right candles, if you do this routine, if you fork off, fork over just enough money, and maybe that's enough bridge for God to forgive you. But all of those do what? They fail. But biblical Christianity says, no, no, there is a bridge. But that bridge was not built by you. It can never be built by you. That bridge started from God. God was the one who built the bridge. Because the, when God builds a bridge, it never, ever goes bad. And this is the bridge that God built. This is the most meaningful bridge in the world. It's called the cross of Jesus. 2,000-year-old, and it's very deep and very wide. And it accepts anybody. Anybody can walk across this bridge. This bridge right here is the bridge that has that is closed off the chasm between us, this darkness, and God, the light. And we are going to be, we are celebrating this Easter weekend, and, and the worst thing that could be, that could happen right now, is if we would go through this weekend, spend time with family, and we didn't accept this bridge. We didn't decide to go over this bridge that God built for us. This bridge that can help us connect 
from the darkness to the light. This bridge that is only, only built by the cross of Jesus Christ. And you and I have the privilege to go over that bridge. It's very deep, it's very wide, but it's not very long. Doesn't take too much. I don't know about you, but I think nothing is more important than to be able to experience that bridge in our lives. It was hot night. I was uh, 17 years old. I was in the middle of the summer of 1977. And the Big Apple was abuzz with excitement and life. The kind that you would see in a mega city. Bars were filled. Movies and theaters were in the middle of the story. Life went on as usual, but then it happened. It was called the blackout of 1977. For 24 hours, the city and surrounding uh, neighborhoods like mine in New Rochelle were engulfed with darkness. Lights went out. Elevators stopped between floors. Lights went out on bridges. Televisions went black. Everything went black and silent. For 24 hours, the city of New York and surrounding neighborhoods was in the gripe, grips of a massive blackout. Phones lines were jammed. There were no cell phones in those days. Emergency medical services were crippled. People were in panic everywhere. And during that time, crime seized its window of opportunity. Stores and banks were robbed, and many people were mugged and robbed and raped and killed. And the next day, a delayed New York Times newspaper front page read this in large print. Where were you when the lights went out in New York City? Where were you when the lights went out in New York City? I remember being in my home and everything goes off. My mother and dad looking for candles and ways to do that. For, for months afterwards, no matter where you went, that was the topic of discussion. Where were you when the lights went out? And when I, when I, I remember reading about this, I cannot help but think about this moment in the history of humanity when Jesus is hanging on the cross and the Bible says, now when the sixth hour had come, this is 12 noon, when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the land until the ninth hour. In other words, there was total, complete darkness. Everybody around them, they didn't know what was going on because Jesus had just died. Jesus had just cried out, saying, Lord, accept me into your kingdom. Jesus had just gone through the darkest. Now, you want to talk about shame and guilt? Let me tell you what the cross is. The cross says that Jesus, upon that cross, took everybody's sins, everybody's shame, everybody's guilt, and he took it upon himself. You don't know what that feels like. We have no idea. We have never experienced and never will thank to Jesus the, the intense weight of that moment. 
In fact, we know that Jesus didn't die from hanging on the cross. He died of a broken heart. When they pierced him, water and blood came out, which signified that his heart had burst. Why? Because he took your shame and your guilt upon you. Do not let shame and guilt keep you away from God. That is the enemy. Be remorseful. Be repentant. And move forward. I love the verse in Hebrews that says, look, strengthen your feeble knees. Lift up your hands so that that which is, in lame, which is lame will not be overcome. Get out of the way before a truck hits you. I love that. Stop having the pity party. That never works. Never, never works. I don't know about you, but I'm excited to be a believer today. That we get to celebrate this awesome moment. Unlike Christmas, we didn't know when Jesus was born, but we know when he died and resurrected. And tomorrow we're going to come back here and Pastor Terrence is going to share with us the word. I'm, it's going to be powerful, man. Let me tell you, I can't wait. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm raising the bar for him right now. I'm just telling you right now. He's gonna, it's going to be good. I am so excited. Come out tomorrow. And watch Jesus come out of the darkest tomb into the light. Amen. Father in heaven, we love you so very much. Thank you so, so very much for your blood. Thank you so much for your forgiveness, for your goodness that leads us to repentance. Godly sorrow, Lord. Help us, O oh Lord, not to fall into the trap of shame and guilt, Lord. Thank you for believers like John who had the courage to share uh, this morning, Lord. And I pray, Father, that you would help us all to be able to, to be authentic and transparent about our, our brokenness and that we could just leave that at the foot of the cross and have you heal us and, and fix us, Lord, because only you can, Lord. Thank you for that bridge that you built for us by sending your son to die for us and to be resurrected as a promise for us one day that we will be resurrected. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.